The reading is taken from Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 32. It reads as follows. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. If you are new here this evening, my name is Martin. I'm the rector of Christchurch Midrand, and we are delighted to have you here with us this evening, especially if you're from C4 and from Christchurch Hillbrow. Please bear with me now. Do turn to that passage, Luke chapter 5. It's a well-known passage to many of us, and uh, we're going to look at this passage where Jesus calls uh, Levi, because I think that can teach us a great deal about the Christian faith. Now let me pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you that we can gather together as your people. We thank you for the great joy to be part of the people of God, the family of God, and that together we can worship you, we can praise you, we can lift our hearts away from ourselves and our own little lives and focus on the Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for that joy and for that privilege. And we pray now, Lord, that as we study your word, that we may hear your voice as we look at the word of God. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Now imagine if I was to ask all of you to uh, stand up and make a straight line down the middle here. And I was to ask those who were certain that you were a Christian to come and stand in front. And those who were certain that you were not a Christian to stand at the back and those who were not sure whether you were a Christian, to stand in the middle. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to ask you to do that. (laughs) I'm too English for that. But where would you stand? Think about that. Where would you stand? You see, in a large group like this this evening, there's bound to be people in all three groups. And this evening, I especially want to talk to those who are at the back and in the middle. So we organize events like this from time to time so that we can talk about what does it mean to be, to be a Christian? Why did Jesus come? What is Christianity all about? And my aim is simply that by the end of this talk that you will be clear where you stand, in the front, in the back, or in the middle. And you will be clear how you can respond to Jesus. Now let's have a look at this passage, the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those were eyewitness records of of the original Jesus. So if you want to find out who Jesus is and what he said and what he was like, read through the Gospels. These are the source documents of the Christian faith. 
So if you want to know what Christianity is all about, look at Jesus. And we find him here walking off the pages of the Gospels. And this evening, Luke chapter 5, I hope you have your, your cell phones, you've got your Bibles open there, because we're going to unpack that passage to understand what God is saying to us. I'm going to ask three questions about this passage. The first question is, and you may be someone in the middle or perhaps someone right at the back, ask the question, what is Christianity all about? Now, this passage is really no different from any other passage in the Gospels because it talks about Jesus as king, Jesus as God, Jesus as someone who has authority. Now, that comes out quite clear. Notice verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, when you read that, it's almost as if Jesus has complete authority over this unknown man. This man had never met Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me, and he follows him. In actual fact, you find that throughout the Gospels. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 20. You see the same kind of thing. There's a paralyzed man. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus has never met this man. And Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I mean, it's extraordinary. He's never met the man. Imagine if I came up to you. I've never met you. And I say, my friend, your sins are forgiven. I mean, you would think to yourself, who is this old white man? Has he got dementia? Has he got Alzheimer's? Um... Notice verse 24, he says to the same paralyzed man, he says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that's that's exactly what happens. He gets up, he takes his mat, and he goes home. Now, my dear friends, that is extraordinary. Jesus speaks and things happen. I am a boss, an employer. I'm a husband, I'm a father. I speak and nothing happens. I can't even get my daughters out of bed, and they're not paralyzed. (laughs) Jesus says to this paralyzed man, get up, and he gets up. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 33. Jesus has authority over evil spirits. There's a man possessed by an evil spirit, and the evil spirit recognizes him and says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Chapter 4, verse 34. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus has authority. He has authority over the sick. He has authority over people. He has has authority over someone who's paralyzed. He has authority to forgive sin. He has authority over evil spirits. Do you think it's possible that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God? So what's Christianity all about? Well, it's about Jesus and making up your mind about his claim to be God. You see, it's beyond all reasonable doubt that Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, that he died around about 30 AD. There's no doubt about that. It's beyond all reasonable doubt that we would never have heard of Jesus if his death had been the end of the story. Tens of thousands of people were crucified. He lived in the back end of the Roman Empire. Who would have heard of this country preacher in Galilee who died on a cross? But if you read to the end of the Gospels, 
all of them end off that he was raised from the dead. Extraordinary. It was a resurrection. And Luke tells us in the book of Acts, he says there were over 500 witnesses, and they're still alive. So uh, Luke wrote around about 20 years, 25 years, after the death and resurrection of Christ. And he's actually saying, go and check it out. Go and talk to the eyewitnesses. Find out about it. He was raised from the dead. You remember on the one occasion that uh, Jesus met this widow. She'd lost her husband, and she was taking her son. And he had died, and she was about to bury him. And Jesus came upon them, and Jesus had compassion on her. And he said to the young man, get up. And he rose from the dead. Now, because of my job, I've been at hundreds of funerals. It has never occurred to me to knock on the coffin and say, get up. You know why? I hate to be embarrassed. Do you think it's possible that Jesus could be anything other than the Son of God? So what is Christianity all about? Well, it's really when you, when you take away all the packaging, it's about Jesus. Jesus as king. Jesus as God. Jesus as someone who has extraordinary authority. And the question for us is, will you reject him? Will you reject his authority or will you live under his authority? That's really the question. If he is God, if he is king, will you live under his authority or will you live by your own authority? It's one or the other. Will you ignore him or will you live in relationship with him? So that's the first question. What is Christianity all about? The second question is, who is it for? Now, we pick that up in chapter 5, verse 32, where Jesus sums up, really, why he came into the world, why he came. And we see that there in verse 32. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is a sinner? I wonder if you've ever thought about that. How would you define a sinner? You see, at the heart of sin is man's independence from God. At the heart of sin is not murder or lying or adultery or stealing. Those are sins, and they are serious sins that have serious consequences. But it's not the heart of sin. The heart of sin is to say to God, I don't need you. I don't want you. Keep out of my life. In fact, I'll be my own God. I'll make my own rules. I'll make my own happiness. Sinners, when we say to God, I don't want you in my life. I don't want to live under your authority. Get lost. That's the heart of sin. When we, when we reject the authority of our creator over our lives. And really, Levi, verse 27, is exhibit A. He's a tax collector. Now, in our culture, we don't, we don't think there's anything bad to work for SARS. Anyone here work for SARS? Well, there's nothing wrong to work for SARS. We may think it's a little bit boring. We may make some jokes about it. But we don't think there's anything wrong working for SARS. But not in the first century Palestine. You didn't joke about tax collectors. You lynched them. Because Levi was a Jew. And what he had done, he had bought a franchise to collect taxes from a certain region from the Jewish people and to give the taxes to their Roman oppressors and to put some of it in his pocket. 
So in many ways, he had a license to rob. It's sort of the original state capture. Nothing new about state capture, guys. Nothing new. Here it is, right, in Luke chapter 5. Perhaps, perhaps Levi was the, was the original Tom Moyani. Who knows? <laughs> and Jesus says to Tom Moyani, he says, follow me. I mean, can you imagine? Notice that Levi is a wealthy man. I mean, only wealthy men would have a large feast for their friends. So we, here we have um, a wealthy man. He's probably wealthy because of his job. He's into state capture. And um, he probably has a large walled estate in Jerusalem. Perhaps he has a luxury yacht on the Dead Sea. Uh, perhaps he has the top-of-the-range uh, camel in... Uh, <laughs> on his driveway, and by the way, it has leather seats. (laughs) He's stinking rich, but at the expense of his own people. They were regarded as the lowest of the low in Palestinian culture. What would be the equivalent? Perhaps a a drug lord or a sex offender. I read in the Sunday Times this morning, Mark Batchelor, the soccer player, who was killed. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that there's a ton of cocaine which was involved with Mark Batchelor. I mean, that's the kind of person we're talking about here. The other people here in the story are the Pharisees, the scribes. They were basically the church-going people in the story. And they would divide the human race, not into three groups like I did, but into two, two groups, good people like them at one end, and bad people like Levi at the other end. And they thought that when God came to judge the world, he would condemn the people like Levi, and he would say to good people like them, well done, come inside, you've earned it. You see, they thought that if you tried hard enough, you could get to the top of the line. That's what they thought. And Jesus arrives, and he does exactly the opposite. He doesn't go to the churchgoers and the church people like me. No, he goes to the back of the line, to Tom Moyani, and he says, I want you to be in relationship with me, and I'll take you as you are. I'll take you as you are. Well, the churchgoers didn't like that. Notice there, verse 30. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And sinners. And Jesus tells them, verse 31, they've got it entirely wrong. Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Many, many years ago, when I was a child, um, I was actually a friend of Jan van Riebeek. Do you know that? When I was a child, doctors, you won't believe this, but doctors you would make house calls. You won't believe this. They used to make house calls. And if you had flu or tonsillitis or pneumonia, they would come and visit you at home. Nowadays, that is not the case. You will not get a doctor at your house. That's unless it's a matter of life and death, literally. And that's what Jesus is saying. I wouldn't have come if you were all right. I wouldn't have come if you could have helped yourself. No, I came because it's a matter of life and death. You're sick, you're terminal. 
And by the way, Jesus says the human race isn't divided into two groups, those who are good enough for God and those who aren't. No. You're all sick. You're all terminal. You're all the same. The symptoms may be different. But underneath it all, you've ignored God. You've rejected God. You've lived as if God does not exist. In fact, you're in, you're in intensive care. And it's terminal. The only difference, says Jesus, is those who know it and those who don't. That's the only difference. You see, our problem is that when we reject our creator, when we, when we reject the God of all the universe, we stand under God's judgment, and rightly so. He's a holy God. And so we stand under his judgment. We deserve his wrath. We deserve his judgment. Rightly so, because we've thrust our fist into his faith. The very one who gave us life, the one who gave us gifts and talents and a mind and a body, the one who gave us breath itself, we've said to him, get lost. And so we stand under God's judgment. And the reason Jesus came was to rescue us from the judgment of God. And that's why he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he took the rubbish. Think of all the rubbish in your life. All the rubbish this past week, this past month, this past year. And all of that rubbish, that garbage, was placed upon Christ. And God put his judgment, his anger, his wrath upon Christ in your place, in my place, to rescue us from ourselves, from our sin and from God's judgment. Now, there may be someone here sitting this evening or listening on the website, and you may say to me, Martin, I'm not sure that I can, I can agree with you about this whole judgment thing and this whole thing about being sinners because I think all people are basically good. Well, let me ask you this question. When you came, came here this evening, why did you lock your house? <laughs> when you parked your car, why did you, why did you lock your car? Why do you sign contracts? You see, people aren't basically good. But then you say, but wait a minute, Martin, other people may not be basically good, but I'm basically good. I'm a nice person. Well, let me ask you this question. If we made a video of your life, your whole life, and we played it on the screen here <laughs> with everyone here, and we had different channels. There was multi-choice, Netflix, and uh, we had different channels. The one channel was all your actions on the screen, the other channel was all your words on the screen. And the third channel was all your thoughts on the screen. Would you stay? <laughs> you know, I wouldn't stay. In fact, I know where the mains are. I would switch off the power. You see, none of us are good. None of us are well. Actually, we're all sick. The only difference is some of us know it and some of us don't. Actually, Jesus can't help you one bit. He can't help you one bit. Think about this. You can pray to him. You can fast. You can do what you like. But he cannot help you one bit if you don't admit you're sick. If you don't admit that you're sick and that you're critical, that you need help, he can't help you. Which is precisely why Jesus said there, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, many people get that wrong. They think Christianity is for good people, nice people, religious people, people who are better than others. And Jesus says, my dear fellow, you've got that entirely wrong. 
That isn't who I came for. I can only help you if you finally realize you're a failure. That's who the church is for. That's who the gospel is for. It's for failures. And for people to finally realize, I'm a failure. Without Christ, without God, I'm lost. I'm sunk. We heard that in the testimonies this evening. Without God, we are lost. And if you haven't realized that, and you haven't admitted that, God can't help you one bit. So the first principle is that Christianity is about Jesus, Jesus as king, Jesus as God, Jesus having authority. The second principle is that Christianity is for sinners, for failures, failures like you and me. Third question is, how do we respond? Let me just say about failures, we talked this morning, we had a, um, we're doing a series on controversial issues, and this morning we dealt with abortion. And that's a very heavy topic, as we all know. And what I was saying this morning is that Christ came for all of us, whatever our sin. If you've been pregnant and you're not married, Christ came for you. If you've had an abortion or you've caused someone to have an abortion, Christ came for you. That's the gospel. He came for broken sinners like you and me. The symptoms may vary, but fundamentally we all need help. And that's why he came. Lastly, then, how do we respond? Well, some of you may say, well, Martin, I'm not sure that I want to respond because I'm not sure that I believe in God. And I'll say to you, the Bible says you do. Everyone knows that there's a God. You have a conscience, don't you? You have a sixth sense. You have spiritual sensibilities. Where does that come from? Where does a con- conscience come from? It comes from a God. What you're really saying is not that you don't believe in God. You are saying, I don't want God to interfere in my life. And that's a totally different thing. That's where Levi started. That's where I started. How do you respond? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, repentance is a Bible word. We need to understand it. It means a U-turn. It means you turn around. It means that you're walking one way, and then you turn around, and you walk a different way. So there's Levi. He's a tax collector. He's exhibit A. He's living as if God does not exist. He's lying, he's cheating, he's stealing. Pretty much the same as all of us. The symptoms are the same. The symptoms may be different, but underlying it, it's the same. You're doing your own thing. You're running your life in your own way. And Jesus enters the picture and says to Levi, follow me. Levi gets up, leaves everything, and follows him. That's repentance. He's going one way, his own way. And he turns around and he follows Jesus. So instead of pleasing yourself, you want to please God. So instead of living under your own authority, you want to live under God's authority. They're negative effects, they're positive effects. So negatively, like Levi, you may need to stop lying and cheating and stealing. 
You may need to stop sleeping around or having sex outside of marriage. You may, may need to deal with things like anger or hatred or unforgiveness. Positively, it will mean that you want to be with Jesus' family. You want to be with them. You want to read his word. You want to talk to him. You're willing to publicly associate yourself with Jesus. That's what it means. Some things will go, some things will come. But basically it means that you're living under new management. Under new management. Let me close and ask you, what is your response to Jesus? If Jesus is God, if Jesus is king, if Jesus has ultimate authority, surely the smart thing would be to submit to him. I think that would be smart. To turn from your own lifestyle, your own authority, your own way of doing things, and to submit to his kingship. I'm no longer king. See, that's the great thing. There are many people who reject Christ, not because of the evidence, not because of the miracles or the resurrection. They reject Christ. Why? Because they want to be king. I don't want God to be king of my life. Many years ago, I met with a with a young man, and uh, he had all kinds, all kinds of questions about Christianity, creation, evolution, miracles, suffering, all the normal kind of questions. And we met for a couple of weeks, and then after a while I said to him, Jim, you know, your problem is that we can carry on looking at all these questions week after week, and there are answers. I may not have all the answers, but there are answers to all your questions. Your problem, Jim, is actually you don't want to submit to King Jesus. And he paused a while and he said, Martin, you're right. That may be you. You don't dispute what the Bible says, but you won't submit to King Jesus because you are king. So you need to decide which way are you going to go. Are you going to live under your own authority or are you going to live under Christ's authority as king? Well, let's pray. There may be someone here this evening who realizes, as we've heard the testimonies, as we've sung these wonderful songs, as we've looked at God's word, you have felt God the Holy Spirit pressing in upon your heart this evening. And you know that you need to get right with God. The way to get right with God is to talk to him. And you talk to him through prayer. Now, this prayer may not be for you this evening. You may not be ready to pray this prayer, and we understand that. But if you want to submit to Jesus as king, here's a prayer that you can pray. You can echo the words quietly in your head to submit to Christ. Won't you pray with me, just quietly in the back of your head? Lord Jesus, I don't understand it all but I know that I need you. I know that King Jesus died on the cross for my sins in my place. Will you rescue me? Will you make me a Christian? And will you help me to live under your authority? 
And Father, we thank you so much that when we call to you for mercy, that you hear and you answer. So work amongst us tonight, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen.